Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you all. Worship with you. And I'm happy that now I know who the true Minnesotans are at this church. We're going to add a little box on our database that you will all get that little check by true Minnesotan, so it's all good. Uh, if you open up your bulletin, there's a note sheet if you'd like to take notes and just know whoever takes notes will be first in the kingdom of God. It's a very important spiritual truth, so, you know, do with that what you will. I was thinking this week, for better or worse, our family of origin has a lot to do with who we become and how we behave and how we relate to other people. You know, how we grew up and how we were interacting with our parents and our siblings, it, it makes an impact our whole life. I was thinking, you know, do you remember the time when you suddenly realized that not every family is the same and maybe what you were experiencing isn't exactly the same as your friends? Like, I remember the first time I figured out that not every one of my friends had to go to bed at seven at night. It's a little bitter about that. I, I found out some of my friends didn't have to eat as many vegetables as I did. Found out that maybe not every family disciplines the same way. You know, every one of us has a unique family experience, and it has a lot to do with who we become and how we relate to other people. Now, I remember also specifically at a time when I was young when I told myself, I said, when I grow up and I have my own kids, you know, they're going to have as many sweets as they want, they're going to be able to decide their own bedtime, and I'm going to have unlimited soda for them. But then, fast forward a couple decades, and I had my own kids, and suddenly one day I realized I'm becoming my parents, right? <laughs> have you experienced that before? Our families have a lot to do with who we are and who we become and how we relate to other people. And so that's why I think today it's so important for us to dig into what Paul has to say about what it means to be in God's family. What it means to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of this family of God that should really have a huge impact on our values, on how we interact with others, how we live our lives. So if you're just joining us, we're coming to towards the end of a series where we are going through the book of Galatians, which is one of Paul's letters in the New Testament. And we've got hundreds of people meeting in small groups throughout the week, and it's just awesome to hear stories and, and reports of these groups as they dig into God's Word together, as they do life together. Because, you know, there is always power when we dig into God's Word together, and so we want to continue to create this culture of groups and this culture of doing life together at Calvary. But I've been so encouraged to hear stories and testimonies along the way. Now, the book of Galatians is one of my favorite books because it is such a clear presentation of the gospel. It brings us back to the basics. It keeps the main thing the main thing. So a number of weeks ago when we looked at chapter one, we talked about how we always need to start with what the gospel is because the gospel can be distorted and it can be changed and it can be miscommunicated. And so Paul wanted us to realize right off the bat that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus died and rose again and he did that to pay the penalty for our sins and he offers us new life in him. Jesus plus nothing else equals everything. Now, the tendency we have as human beings is to start to add stuff on. We start to say, well, it's Jesus plus some rules. It's Jesus plus some traditions. It's Jesus plus the way I like to do things. 
And what Paul would say to us is that's no longer the gospel. In fact, you have completely lost the power of the gospel and you have created another counterfeit gospel. We need to start with the clear, pure gospel. Jesus plus nothing else equals everything. Well, then we talked about how the gospel has the power to set us free. That really in sin, because we are turned inward, because we are self-interested, we are in slavery to sin. And we can't do anything to free ourselves. And so the power of the gospel is that Jesus took care of it all once and for all. And he offers us freedom. We are free in Christ. Well, then that led to our next lesson, which was we are united in the gospel. We are united in Christ. We might not look at every single issue the same way. We might not all vote the same. We might like different styles of music or different times of worship or go to different churches, but we can still remain united in Christ. We don't have to major in the minors. We can keep the main thing the main thing. Well, then last week we talked about the power of the law showing us our need for the gospel. God gave us the law to kind of be like a mirror. And it tells us again and again every day how we fall short. But it also reminds us of the hope we have in Jesus. That because of what Jesus accomplished, the gospel reminds us we are new creations in Christ. God gave us the law to show us our need for the gospel. And what Pastor Jason talked about is that God comes and he meets us in the impossible the impossibility of sin, the impossibility of the struggles we face, the impossibility of death. And he turns everything upside down. Out of sin, he brings freedom and forgiveness. Out of death, he brings new life. And so now today, we're going to look at how all of these things come together. And through the power of the gospel, we are adopted into God's family. And it means we share in all of the rights and the privileges that go with that. And also the fact that we are a part of the family of God should impact every single part of our life. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. Grab your phone, grab your tablet, paper copy, whatever you have. It'll also be up on the screen this morning. We're going to start with verse 26. And here's what Paul says. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. I mean, that's so good right off the bat. Through faith in Jesus, you are children of God. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Because we are adopted into God's family through faith, We are united with Christ. And there is so much power and promise in that simple statement. And the way that Paul tries to illustrate this for us to help us understand what he's getting at is he uses this phrase. He says, you have clothed yourself with Christ. You have clothed yourself with Christ. You've swapped out what you're wearing. And you're wearing something completely new through faith. It's kind of like you got rid of your old, dirty garments of sin. 
and you swap them out for the pure, clean, perfect robes of righteousness that Jesus offers to us. It's an incredible change in clothing. But to the Galatians who were reading this in the first century, there was another layer of meaning because the Galatians were raised in a Roman culture. And there was a practice that was done in a person's life that when they transitioned from childhood to adulthood, they would exchange their clothing. They went from a childish outfit to wearing the Roman toga, which symbolized maturity and full citizenship. It didn't mean they were going to a frat party. It showed everybody on the street that they were now an adult citizen with all of the rights and privileges that would bring. And so you see what Paul is communicating. As those of us in the family of God, we're beyond helpless children. We're beyond immaturity because of what Jesus has done. And instead, we are united with Christ in fullness. We have full status. We have full maturity. And we have full responsibility. But not just that. Think about what this image also portrays. It means that our primary identity is in Jesus. I mean, if you're out on the street and you see somebody in a uniform and it's, you know, somewhat recognizable, you can figure out what their identity is. You know, someone is in the military. Someone is a pilot. Someone works in another field of industry. In the same way, because we are brought into the family of God, because of our faith in Christ, our primary identity should be evident to others. But not just that, the the implication of clothing is really the closeness of Jesus. I mean, is there really much else that's closer to us than our clothing? When we are clothed in Christ, it's a daily reminder that he never leaves our side, that everything we go through, we experience with him. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. It also reminds us that we are accepted. When God looks at us, even with all of our history and all of our struggles, when God looks at us, he sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ. When we are clothed with him. And because of what Jesus has done, we are fully accepted in God's eyes. Through faith. We are united with Christ. Then look at verse 28. Paul goes on to say, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Through faith, we are all made one in Christ Throughout all of history, the law and religion and sinfulness has created division and separation and distinction between people. And some of these divisions have just been between different classes of people, different status of people, gender, race. It's also been by nation, by religion, all sorts of ways that people have divided and separated and even been at each other over time. But Paul reminds us Jesus came to unite us, not to divide us. He came to take away all of those distinctions and all of those separations. Now this might seem ordinary today. We like to talk about equality. We like to talk about coming together. 
But this was totally revolutionary for the Galatians. They had never heard anything like this before because slaves were known as property and women were looked down upon and had no rights and given no respect. And Gentiles were looked down upon by the Jewish people. In fact, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, would wake up every morning and one of their morning prayers was this. They would say, I thank thee, O God, that I am a Jew and not a Gentile, that I am a man and not a woman, that I am a free man and not a slave. Every single morning, they would pray that prayer. But now, all of these distinctions and separations and divisions are done away with in Christ. Now, of course, this doesn't mean every difference just goes away. I mean, we still have different races, different genders, many different things about us that make us unique. We can be diverse in fascinating ways. It's what makes us uniquely created by God. But what it does mean is that we all have the same worth in God's eyes. We all have the same privileges through Christ. We all have the same rights in God's family. There's no hierarchy. There's no exceptions. The thing is, if we're honest and we look around us in our society today, we still see a ton of division. We still see a ton of separation. And I think what Paul is reminding us today is that as Christians, we should be at the forefront of fighting for equality and dignity and respect for all. That we should be willing to step up and speak out when anyone is mistreated that we should be at the forefront of the fight for, against injustice. And by doing these things, speaking up for people, we're modeling what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. Now another thing is I think something that should be convicting for us as a church is we need to be asking, does our church look like our community? Are we a good representation of what our surrounding community looks like? And if not, what are we willing to change? You know, Jesus said, go and make disciples of every nation, not just Scandinavian Americans, right? So what can we do as a church to make unchurched people, especially those that don't look anything like us, what can we do to make them feel comfortable? What can we do to make them feel welcomed and wanted and loved? I heard a quote one time that says, the church needs to be made up of all kinds of people because the gospel is for all kinds of people. Now as we transition into chapter four, Paul gets to one of the most powerful truths of the gospel. And I think when we understand the power in the next verses, it has the potential to change everything. So starting with verse one, Paul says, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. 
Now stop for a moment. What Paul is saying is that before Jesus came, we were like children in slavery. Now think of it this way. No matter how wealthy a father is, his young children can't enjoy or experience the fullness of his wealth, the fullness of his inheritance. Right? Your father might be a billionaire, but if you're an infant or a toddler, you don't have access to that wealth on your own. And so what Paul is saying is that the promise of the Messiah coming is this, this incredible richness, the riches that we have. But until Jesus came, we were under the guardianship, the trusteeship of the law. We couldn't fully enjoy all of those rights and privileges. Under the law alone, that's really our spiritual condition. We are children being babysat by a slave. Wealthy people in Rome had a slave to care for their kids. And so Paul is also implying that when the false teachers came into Galatia and they started to add back to the gospel, what they were doing is returning people back to their childhood. There was no longer freedom. There was no longer any inheritance. It was spiritual infancy and immaturity. Paul is saying for 15 centuries, Israel has been in kindergarten. They've been learning their ABCs, all of the things that are pointing to the future. But until Jesus came, they were in spiritual infancy. But now that Jesus came, it's no coincidence that he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Far beyond the ABCs, he's everything. He's beyond a PhD. Through Jesus, we are brought out of spiritual infancy. We are made full members of the family of God. So with that illustration in mind, Paul goes on. He says, but when the time or when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. One of the most incredible blessings of the Christian life is that we are adopted into God's family. But pause for a second because adoption in the New Testament, in the Greek, is not exactly the way we think about adoption. I think we tend to think of a, a baby or a small child adopted into a family. It's an awesome thing. But the adoption that Paul is talking about is placing someone into a family as an adult son. Adoption for Paul is being placed into a family with all of the rights and privileges of an adult son. And that really makes a difference. We are all children of God through faith. But every child of God is automatically placed into the family with all the rights and the privileges of an adult son. Now, you might be wondering what happened to the daughters. Like, Paul's a little too sexist here. You need to understand the context. 
In the first century, when Paul is writing this letter, only sons could inherit estates. Only sons could be heirs to what their father had. And so what Paul is telling us is that every single one of us who is in Christ shares equally in the inheritance of God. It's why also in the original language, what Paul actually says is you are all sons of God. You are all sons of God. It's not just a promise that's made to male Christians. I mean, remember other times there's other gender choices made. When the church is talked about in the New Testament, it's often called the bride of Christ. And all of us, regardless of gender, make up the church. You are all sons of Christ. We share equally in the rights and the privileges and the inheritance. All who are in Christ are heirs to everything that is his. All of his promises, all of his riches, all of his glory. And we have the promise of a place with him forever in heaven. There's a theologian named J.I. Packer who says, Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. And you might wonder, how could this be? I mean, how could anything be higher or better or more of a blessing than justification? Justification simply says you are made righteous in God's eyes. Think of it this way. Justification is a court term. You're before a judge and the judge declares you not guilty. But what adoption says is that you're in front of that same judge and that judge rules that you are not guilty, then comes out from behind the bench, comes down and embraces you and says, now come live with me as my beloved child. That's how amazing adoption is. God welcomes us fully into his family as his beloved children. And so our adoption through faith in Christ not only means we have an unbelievable inheritance, it also tells us that we have the gift of intimacy with our God. Throughout this passage, Paul has been contrasting a son and a slave, a son and a slave. Think for a moment, a slave always calls the person over them their master. A slave would never call their master a father. But a son always calls him dad. And that's why Paul uses the word Abba. Abba means papa. It means daddy. And because we're a part of God's family, we have intimacy with the creator of the universe. We can call him Abba. He always is ready to hear our concerns and our cries and anything on our heart. I read an interesting article this week and it said, at birth, every single baby cries in a distinct way, mimicking the sound of their mother. Researchers studied hundreds and hundreds of infants, and they found that every single child has a unique cry melody, a unique pattern of sounds, and it matches the unique intonation of their mother's voice. Now, those of you who are mothers probably already know this. 
Because you could go into a room full of children crying and carrying on, and if you hear your child's voice, you know right where they're at. It rises above all the chaos and all the commotion. Now, the amazing thing is this exact thing is true for us and God. God knows the unique sound and voice that you have. He knows when his children are crying out to him. It's one of the privileges of being adopted into his family. You can bring whatever's on your heart and mind, whatever is burdening you, you can bring it to his throne any time of the day simply because he cares for you. Now, I realize for some of you here today, the thought of God being a father does not bring feelings of love and security. It's hard to understand God as a father because of your experience with your earthly father. I mean, perhaps you grew up in a family or you're still a part of a family where you have felt unloved, mistreated, and even abused. For you, the word father doesn't bring feelings of love and peace. It brings feelings of fear and rejection. You need to know today that this is not the case for God. He is a good, good father who cares deeply for you. And he demonstrated this by sending his only son to give up his life for you. If you were the only person on earth he still would have sent Jesus to die for you. And the creator of the universe wants nothing more than a close, personal, intimate relationship with you. No matter your story, no matter your past. One of the blessings of adoption is that we are given intimacy with God. There was something I learned when I married my wife, Lexi, something I learned about her family, and that was this. There is always room for more at the table. Whenever there's a holiday, whenever they gather on a Sunday afternoon for a barbecue, whenever there's any gathering together, it's just implied. There is always room for more at the table. And I also learned right away, as part of the family, there were certain responsibilities and expectations that we would go out of our way to welcome in whoever the guests were. Now, sometimes this was friends that people in the family had. Sometimes it was just acquaintances, maybe from church. But oftentimes it was people in need who had nowhere else to go, who maybe had just been met the last week or a few days before the holiday. But still, we were expected to go out of our way to make sure that they felt welcomed and loved. We even were asked to make sacrifices oftentimes. You know, give up your seat. Make sure they get to go through the line first. Make sure they have more than enough food. Sometimes my mother-in-law would even change the menu a bit to make sure that the guests had something that they enjoyed to eat. There was always more room at the table. The same thing is true for the family of God. There is always more room at the table. The gospel is good news for every person, everywhere, every time, every place. So we can't be content to keep it to ourselves. 
In fact, if you are a part of God's family, you actually have the responsibility to invite others to the table, to invite others to come and share all the rights and the privileges that we have in Christ. Think of what this means for us as a church. It means we should expect guests every week. We need to be ready for people coming to visit. We need to be ready for people coming to experience, maybe for the first time, the love of Jesus. And it means we need to be willing to make sacrifices so they can feel comfortable. You know, God's family should never be content to just hang out in a Christian bubble. We need to make sure that our eyes are focused outward on people who aren't yet at the table. There are so many lost and hurting people all around us in need of the gospel. And so we need to be asking frequently as a church, are we focused on just keeping insiders happy? Or are we focused on reaching outsiders with the good news of Jesus? You know, I think when we stand before God someday, he's not going to ask, well, why did you sing that song? Or why did you sit there? Or why that church or this or whatever? He's going to ask us, what did you do with my son Jesus? What did you do with my son Jesus? Did you just keep the good news to yourself so that you could be comfortable? Or were you willing to do whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel? You know, most weeks throughout the series, I've been asking a couple questions they're challenging questions. They challenge me. I've been hearing great feedback from people, though, as they wrestle with these. First question I'd like you to consider is, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to reach more people for Christ? What are you willing to sacrifice in order to reach more people for Christ? Number two, what are you holding on to more tightly than the mission that Jesus has given us? What is something that you love more than the mission that Jesus has given us? The first step is owning it, being honest about it. There are thousands of people within just a few miles of this church who are destined for an eternity apart from God. And that should concern us, that should unsettle us, that should be part of our prayers every day. How can we reach out? You know, Calvary has been known for many decades as a church focused on mission and outreach. Its reputation has gone before it for many, many years. Pastor Maynard Nelson was here for many years, uh, a few decades ago, and he was a pioneer in the Lutheran world. And he was willing to do what it takes to reach out beyond these walls with the gospel. Even if it meant getting death threats, having picketers, he was willing to make changes and sacrifices in order to share the good news of Jesus. We live in a rapidly changing world. What worked 50 years ago, 20 years ago, 5 years ago, even 2 years ago might not work today. But Paul taught us this in the New Testament. He said, we need to be willing, willing to adapt 
and change in order to meet people where they're at. He said, I'm willing to become all things to all people so that some might be saved. The gospel never changes. But the way we communicate it, the way that we invite, the way we share it, needs to be changed. You see, the good news should remind us again and again, there's always more room at the table. When you're a child of God, when you have been adopted into his family, you have an incredible inheritance. You have intimacy with the God of the universe. But you also have a responsibility. You've been given a job description. Jesus said, go make disciples of every single nation. Get out there. Go and invite. Because you know what? There is always, always more room at the table. Amen? Let's pray.